Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful emotional and physical intimacy and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love, sex, relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. I'm excited to be here. I've been talking about love, sex, and relationships all day today, so I'm primed and ready to uh, take any questions, no question off limits, and uh, we'll see what wants to happen as we all gather to love and be loved better. Should we start with Robin? The words are slipping away from me. I apologize. Um, I'm so excited to actually be able to talk to you again, Dr. Laura. I really appreciate listening to your advice the last couple of weeks. But there's something that's come up that uh, I almost texted Billy this week, like, I need Dr. Laura now. (laughs) Um, So my partner and I have been together for 16 years. Um, We've worked really hard on our relationship with regards to so many things, communication, sex, like the financial issues, building our family. And we we have a, a really good relationship in the sense that we really like each other. We really enjoy spending time with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of similarities, but we're we're both very different in other ways too. And one of the ways in which we're different is really causing me a lot of distress lately. And that is the subject of tone. I know we're not unique in this, but long story short, I'm a pretty sensitive person. I admit that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's something that I try and use to my advantage and if it's something that's working to my detriment, I, I, I really try and, and find a balance. At the same time, I think I'm pretty good with people. I enjoy people. I talk to them all the time. I think I'm a pretty good interpreter of body language and tones and things like that. Meanwhile, um, my partner is a much more reserved individual than I am. Mm-hmm. He's not one to care what anybody thinks of him. He'll make that very clear. And again, that can work to his advantage and his disadvantage. When he, you know, we're both very overwhelmed lately. He started grad school online. He's a teacher in a, in a school with a very difficult population of kids. And he just went back full time. We've had our baby in, in December. Our almost seven-year-old is really, you know, doing what a seven-year-old should and pushing mm-hmm. limits and boundaries. boundaries. But <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. Um, and I find that very often, like, at least I have him, especially during the pandemic. We, we really got along well. Obviously, we had a baby. <laughs> but, right. Um, we really got along well through most of the pandemic. But what's the issue now? It's the same issue we've always had, but it's bothering me more, which is the way he speaks to me and the way he speaks to me in front of our kids, our boys. Mm-hmm. It tends to be um, cold to mean. And his feeling is that that's, it's non-existent. It's all in my head and he can't help what I am interpreting if that's not. Can you give me an example of like the, um, he, it's, it's just all in the tone. It's like, you know, that Seinfeld episode, these pretzels are making me thirsty. He could say the same thing a hundred different ways, but the way he says it gives me a vibe that I'm annoying, that he's annoyed in general with his life, which I take offense to because I feel like we are his life. 
that, that and is any of that true i think it is but i don't i think that there is a, a, a certain amount of frustration we're both in our early 40s our original careers didn't work out the way we wanted them to well, no, no. I mean, I, you're, I under, I, I get that, but I'm saying for like, have you discussed it? And has he acknowledged that he's frustrated with his life right now? He says he's overwhelmed with things okay. he has to do and he feels like he can never get it done, but he does. He says he doesn't feel frustrated with his life. Basically either I'm completely off in interpreting all these things from that. I feel like I'm getting from my my partner, my best friend, my soulmate, yeah. or they're happening and he's not aware of it or, you know, a mixture of both. Well, historically, has he been someone who's, you know, because if he's a pretty pragmatic, straightforward, don't give a crap what anyone else thinks, then he probably says it like he thinks it and he doesn't, he's not one of those, no, nothing's wrong when something is wrong, right? In general. I think that sometimes he might do that to protect me because things have been so difficult, you okay. know, for both of us lately, but it's really, he doesn't need to protect me. I'm a grown woman and okay. I have a lot of support. Well, so, and, and did you grow up with an aggressive, I mean, I did, did you grow up with an aggressive parent? Uh, no, I grew up with two aggressive parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So let me just say this. I, I totally hear what you're saying, but I do think that in general, you know, you have a husband who maybe isn't as adept in the, I have one of these too, in the kind of emotional intelligence as he is in the IQ department. He wasn't raised in a way that it's super easy for him to have access to even know what he's feeling, much less articulate it. When he does know what he's feeling, it sounds like he's not hiding it and he's not someone who would tend toward passive aggression, which is kind of what you're describing. It doesn't gel with what you've told me about his personality. That said... The aggressive part that you picked up on is exactly what it is, and it's 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 new. Like, I've never... Like, I, he's yeah. always been a straight shooter. It's all passive aggression. Has he had a trauma lately? He's having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really, but I would yeah. say that... He's always, you know, the one to take everything on. Yeah. And I could see, I could see where it might be getting to him. I could yeah. see that and I could understand it. But he's probably not even aware of it. For instance, I go through phases like that where it's not anything new. It's not anything that I even want to discuss or need to discuss with my husband because we both know it's happening and, you know, there's nothing else to discuss. And he'll say to me, why are you sighing? I sigh all the time when I'm in those states and I'm not even aware that I'm doing it. And it's mostly because all of a sudden I, when I started to really look at it, I realized that I was accidentally holding my breath and that's why I was sighing so much. <laughs> and so I just wonder, I'm not saying he's not under a lot of stress and you know, I'm not saying that he's the world's best communicator, but I do think that you may want to consider if you are projecting more onto him based on your own childhood, which is natural. Okay, so I want you, if you're willing, and I, I'm only plugging this because I it's like my favorite book that I've written and I really believe in its power and it's extremely powerful and you're a perfect candidate for it is that you read Quantum Love because what you will discover is that 
as you, this is a accidental vicious cycle you're now in. As you attach to the idea that he's passive aggressive, overwhelmed and not sharing his true thoughts about you or the situation or his frustrations or whatever, that changes your energy. And then he match, unconsciously matches that. And then he gets more withdrawn and anxious because he's also in training in quantum physics principles to your anxiety. And it becomes this self-feeding sort of cycle. And you can break the cycle. And, and what I have found, because I have a husband very much like yours, it sounds like, except for the sighing part. I'm the sire, but he's the one that doesn't care what anyone else thinks and says as he thinks it and isn't a pleaser or anything else. But boy, is he untrainable. When I really get clear on my uh, frequency is how I describe it in the book, when I really change what's going on inside me internally, he immediately matches it. And so just read it or listen to it, practice some of what I, I think you're going to really recognize yourself there from the start, and you're going to find a lot of tools and techniques that really help, okay? I really appreciate that. I've heard you mention it before, and I, I, will, I will look at it and, um, and consider. You'll be, I want you to come back and let me know what happens, because you're the perfect kind of person that this makes a substantial change for. And also, don't get all caught up which I can, you know, I empathize with too as a mom of three boys. Don't get too caught up because your energy around, he's teaching our children to disrespect me and women and whatever else. You know, I know that rabbit hole and try not to go down there yet. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you so much for your advice. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for asking. Should we go to Danica? Hi, thank you. So, Dr. Berman, uh, my question is is kind of more based around uh, like friendships with exes. So, mm-hmm. my husband and I are happy together; we have no problems. Um, and in my past, all of my exes have mostly, well, except for a few, have mostly ended up being friends or someone that I could continue mm-hmm. to talk to long after the relationship's over. But my husband is really does not like that. He does not like the thought of me talking to people that I had past relationships with, even though there's no, there's nothing there anymore. It's just kind of that connection. And so is this something that I should go ahead and and just honor my relationship with my husband and, and just completely cut ties? Or is this something that you can have a friendship with an ex. It's it's a great question, and it's one that every couple faces, I think. And it's really important to create a policy around that for reasons you're describing, right? And very often, one of you feels one way and the other the other other way. I will say that friends friendships with exes are a minefield. You may be over that person, but who's to say that other person isn't somewhat harboring wishes for more and is going, and this is what your husband is worried about, is going to be looking for, if he is in close contact with you, is going to be looking for the slightest inroad or fracture to create some emotional collateral with you to create a rift between you and your husband or eventually to get in there, you know? And so in general, I know this, you know, this is one of those controversial things that I teach, but I really think it's next to impossible for a heterosexual man and a heterosexual woman to be really close friends without one or the other or both of them harboring a wish for more. 
you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to cheat or that you're going to hook up with that person, but it certainly is a minefield. And you can be friendly and on good terms with your exes without having to have them as an intimate part of your life. Now, if it was someone, let's say, who was a lifelong friend and someone you'd grown up with and that your family had already been close to and you've already always been close to and you dated for a year or two and it didn't work out and you stayed friends ever since and this person is a huge part of your life, you know, then that maybe that's a different story. And, you know, that would be a situation where I would be encouraging you for you to really facilitate your husband in creating his own relationship with that person. So that person was as much or more his friend as he was yours. But since, you know, in general, if that's not the case with these exes, then I would say, you know, you can be on friendly terms with them and not have to be friends with them. And I don't think it's something, you know, that is necessarily harmless and easy to navigate. And, you know, my husband and I had that conversation and he felt a little bit more strongly about it than I do the way your husband feels. But I also thought to myself, hmm, do I really want him hanging out and confiding about things with his ex-girlfriends? Like, you know, probably not. You know, if once again, if one of them was super important in his general life, then maybe I would make an accommodation. But like, what's the point of that? There are plenty of people I can be friends with. I don't have to be people I've had sex with and been in love with. So both of us agreed that we weren't going to be friends with our exes. Does that mean that they're my enemies and I have them all blocked? No, but I'm not, we're not friends. We're not not friends, but we're not friends. Does that make sense? Makes complete sense. Yeah. The, the ex that I speak about is it, it was a 10 year relationship. So it was not something that was, you know, just a light one year type thing. So it's something I want to honor my husband for so I think it's probably best to follow your advice well thank you very much I appreciate it all right thanks for asking what about Bryce's question Bryce what's your question hi everybody my question is actually true story like broke down last night over this because I'm trying to put my family back together I'm single now Mm -hmm. but um I found myself in this relationship with an older woman, quite a bit older. I was married 11 years. Um, me and my ex left on really good terms. We were amicable. I have two boys. Um, we were really good friends. I used to fly him back and forth, and I'd fly up to uh, Portland, Oregon, to, to hang out with them. It really bothered uh, my girlfriend at the time, and we were together about six years, and I kind of set it up this way. Mm-hmm. But, um, she kind of, for me, is I never really had a, a mom, per se, so I, I started working in fourth grade to buy everything that I needed or wanted and, and have sense. And then for the first time in my life, I went out with this older woman and she bought me dinner. I was like, wow, like, I had to feed my ex-wife, you know, a ton of cash all the time and still do. Mm-hmm. So that impressed me, but it, it turned out, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to it, to being an extremely abusive relationship. Yeah, controlling. Yeah very controlling and her ex-husband was abusive he was aggressive her kids mm. got aggressive with me her oldest son tried mm-hmm. to find me like a couple times but i'm like super mellow and how long were you with this woman six years wow okay and because i didn't know what was going on yeah and i literally went to i i saw some professional help when i was breaking up with her 
And I kept seeing my counselor every week, and she's like, Bryce, you need to go see, it's actually called Laura's House in Southern California. Mm-hmm. It's like a place for women that they go when they're battered by their husbands. It's mm-hmm. embarrassing to that town. Now, you'd be surprised how many men are abused in an abusive relationships, and they're less likely to recognize it because it's not guys who, you know, and I'm bigger than she is, and I could beat her up. But the emotional cr- control and criticism and and it sounds like also physical abuse from other members of the family is real. Okay. Thank you for that validation. So I, when I left her, you know, it was kind of fine, and we were talking and everything was fine. I had a great relationship with my ex-wife. Once I got a new girlfriend, then she started stalking me, vandalized my vehicles a couple of times. Oh, gosh. Um, harassed the girlfriend at the time, and she broke up with me recently in January, because and we've been broken up three years now because the harassment against her still never stopped on mm. me. And I went and I, I got a restraining order with the judge. And I've been telling stories about this woman to people and they just didn't get it. But once I stood in front of the judge, that man knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah, I'm sure. That's what I mean. It's much more common than you'd think. And so that felt really good. But last night, I um, dramatic effect, but it was real. It was raining. I went out to somewhere peaceful. I'm in Idaho at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I just broke down sobbing and I just sat in the rain and just cried and cried and cried because this woman befriended my ex-wife and now my ex-wife since then has not talked to me oh I'm sorry my oldest son who's now 20 hasn't talked to me in two years and we were like best friends is that because of your he hasn't spoken to you because of your ex-wife and her friendship with this other woman? Correct. And she's in okay. Portland. And, and my ex-wife was the one that told me that something was up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know, what you're describing, I'm almost positive. I can't obviously can't diagnose her because I haven't ever spoken to her. But I've been around enough to totally know what you're talking about. And what you're describing is most likely borderline personality disorder. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but I would investigate it. They are extremely manipulative. The core wound and the worst fear is about being abandoned. And so what they'll do is enmesh with you and and are like the funnest, most compelling, amazing partners. And then when they start to get really close to you, then they get super critical and controlling because they're trying to keep you with them. And then if you do anything that is even perceived as separate from them, much less separate for them from them, they come after you hard. And the tricky thing about them is that they're experts in what clinicians call splitting. So You know, if your ex-wife, for instance, had borderline personality disorder, she would be the one driving a wedge between you and your kids, telling your kids lies about you or telling you horrible things about your kids. That's what they do. So my guess is this ex-woman has, is you know, an untreated, harsh case of borderline personality disorder, and they are extremely convincing and manipulative, as, as you know, you were, you were, ga- you know, they're, they're prime gaslighters, and you were gaslit for six years, drinking the abuse Kool-Aid, and they come off as totally charming and together, and make you convinced you're the crazy one. And so they can be very compelling and convincing of the only people 
that I will not treat are people with borderline personality disorder because I can't, I'm not someone that can be that vigilant or look for ulterior motives all the time, or I just find it exhausting. And I have some family members with that, that I've had to cut out of my life. And so it's a trigger for me as well. It's almost impossible to treat because it's such an early pre-conscious wound. It usually happens because they were seriously neglected or abused in the first three years of life. And so it's not even like they can remember the traumas that are the underpinning of their behaviors, and it's super hard to treat. So I say all of that to you because I want you to do some investigating, and, and you'll see so clearly, you'll take a lot of your own shame and guilt away, I think, understanding more how sick this woman is, and that your reactions and behaviors were normal in a situation like this. And you can also educate your ex-wife. Trying and she doesn't listen. The crazy thing was, is I was like genuinely, this was like Robert De Niro, Cape Fear stuff. And I couldn't <laughs> believe it. When I found out that they were friends, like it was like the death of a loved one where I was like, really? Like it, it yeah. hit me and I, it didn't make any sense. And, but when she found out I was going to file a restraining order, she went and tried to file one first. And this is how I knew, because all of a sudden my son wouldn't talk to me, and I was like, "What the hell's going on?" And then my ex, and I was like, "This is weird. Like, what's? I had no idea, like, what that this was happening." Yeah. And then I get served these papers where she tried to file a restraining order against me, and it got rejected. So she's probably making up all sorts of stories about you. Yeah, it's scary and upsetting. But you, you know, if I were you, I would start with your son. And I would, you know, ask him to at least tell you what, you know, why he's not speaking to you and find out the truth and also send him some information that you read on borderline personality disorder and say, if this, you know, if, if the things you're believing about me that are so bad that led you not to speak to me, you know, I want you to know that the source is really unhealthy and tell him the story that, you know, and acknowledge the fact that you've been abused and that the court you know, ordered a restraining order after hearing what happened and show him, you know, describe to him how a borderline behaves because most people just take people at face value and don't realize they're being significantly manipulated for that person's ulterior motive. And, you know, they're the best chess players in the world, often people with borderline personality disorder. So, they're, you know, that's, they're two steps ahead of you and playing a long game and planting seeds and creating rifts. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. I can understand why you feel totally at the effect of all of that. And probably your own abandonment issues are coming up. You really depended on obviously that connection with your ex-wife and your children. And now you feel like this woman has pulled that rug out from under you as well. But I think if you can understand the dynamics, if you can educate your son first, and then you can move to your ex-wife, but the son is almost more important, you know, also make sure you are supported because when you're in the middle of being significantly gaslit and abandoned, you know, it's really freaking depressing. And this is a time where you need, I would even want you, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I feel like what would be most valuable to you, because I think you're a smart guy that can educate himself about the, you know, dynamics, so to speak. But I think what you really are needing, both with this and maybe this big leap that, you know, you're going to make, is a spiritual counselor. Because what you're missing 
in all of this is your core connection to that higher power, whatever that is, God, spirit, universe, you know, pick your thing. But feeling that support and that holding that is always there, whether you're aware of it or not, that's more powerful than a parent or a girlfriend or a child or an ex or anyone else, I think will ground you and strengthen you, make you feel less isolated and alone as, and, and build self-worth as you realize how deeply connected you really are. Does that make sense? makes total sense. You're like so super smart. I kind of want to cry, but you're so super smart, Dr. Oh, That's thank the you. best thing I've heard forever. Good. I'm glad. You're not alone, Bryce. I promise. And just get yourself the support. You know, it doesn't have to come at all through a religious institution. Uh, I'm not talking about that kind of spiritual support. But there are lots of people even on here uh, that I've met who do this kind of work. I know that Mika does it. Mika's on stage. I know that Dimple does it. You know, there's lots of people out there that can support you and are doing work in this realm and can give you some guidance uh, to start cultivating your own connection because that will really see you through everything, I promise. Okay, I'm going to act on it. Thank you so much. I can't believe I made it in here. That was an act of God. Well, I'm glad you did. Thanks. Thanks for asking the question. If you're like the millions of women out there and the people who love them whose sex lives have been negatively affected by chronic urinary tract infections, I wanted to tell you about a product line I discovered called Eucora because people don't talk about this enough. UTIs can happen due to menopause, pregnancy, so many other factors, and so many women struggle with this and go to the doctor repeatedly and then end up avoiding sex as a result. Eucora not only offers UTI relief and proactive urinary tract health supplements, but they have a whole learning center on their website with research and information for you. So get proactive about urinary tract health with Eucora. Right now, Eucora is offering 20% off when you go to eucora.com slash love, but hurry because it's a limited time offer. Go to eucora.com slash love and get 20% off your order. That's eucora.com slash love. Who's next? Hi, Dr. Laura. A shout out for Dr. Laura. If you have not read her book, and she did not pay me to say this, Quantum Love. <laughs> You need to get it because uh-huh. it is a game changer. I mean, in terms of how you approach every single relationship in your life, for real. And it gives you some, I don't know if it's a false sense or, you know, because we can't really control anything I, except for ourselves. It gives you a sense of power and control that you can change things in yeah. all of your relationships. As I sit at the feet of her wisdom, I mean, I have 10 million questions, but I think, you know, I was thinking about what is my, the most challenging aspect of my relationship with my husband when we do get in heated arguments. I usually have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, he, and, you know, like, I feel like he gets triggered outside of our relationship mm-hmm. and then somehow I'm involved in it. You know, what can I do to, if anything? kind of change that narrative. Okay, so you mentioned your son. You're saying your son does something to piss him off or triggers him, and maybe he feels disrespected or usually if you're triggered by a kid, you either feel disrespected or you feel scared because you're going down that dire parent rabbit hole. Oh, they didn't share their toys. You know, They didn't share the toys. They're going to become a Columbine shooter, you know. He's getting triggered by that, 
and then he comes to talk to you about it or just in general having nothing to do with talking about the child he's in that same trigger yeah I mean he'll come and talk to me and all of a sudden it's like kind of an argument between us are you accidentally are you empathizing with him or are you accidentally trying to show him I mean accidentally defending your child not that that's your intention but it can be perceived that way by someone who has just felt disrespected if you try to explain the child's behavior rather than taking a moment to empathize with his mindset in the moment. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And to be honest, like I, I feel that it's my son does something wrong. I will I have no problem, you know, correcting that and joining forces, but it's probably, I feel it's, it's, it's the situation's not in regards to my son. I'm always playing the devil's advocate for yeah. him to try to look at something in a d- different way. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> okay, darn. <laughs> don't do that. I mean, look, in, unless he's being emotionally or physically abusive, his, and I don't mean having high standards or requiring that the children call him, I'm making this up, call him sir, you know, or whatever. Like, you know, those things are are quirks. I'm not, if the kid doesn't call him sir and he beats him up or doesn't give, let him eat, you know, then we're talking about abuse. But for the most part, your husband is probably more punitive, more punishing and more reactive than you are. And if we talk about it on a soul level, And this is one of the hardest things to do as parents, and let's just say it as mothers who tend to be, not that dads aren't, but tend to be super attuned to these little beings that come into our lives and usually through us, but not always, are very emotionally protective of them. But your sons chose this family. You know, our souls kind of come here where we're not humans, you know, we're, we're not humans with a soul. We're souls having a human experience. And we come here to forget all that we all are and all that we know. Like I was talking to Bryce earlier about connecting back into that support and wholeness and oneness. We literally come here to forget that so that we can be in the separation again and have struggles because in oneness, you have none of that. And I think it can be super helpful as a parent. Kids are totally on their own and everything. They got to take care of themselves because their souls chose this. But, you know, his soul chose a father like this for a reason. And there is a gift in this for him, even if you can't see the gift. And your husband's, unless he's being abusive, your husband's relationship with your children is none of your business. It is not your job to modulate it undo it, compensate for it, interject in it. And I think what is happening is that your husband doesn't feel like you're his ally. He feels like you're your child's lawyer. Well, I am an ex-lawyer. That really struck a chord with me today when you did say that about what your husband does parenting-wise. It's none of your business. It really isn't. And I also think there's something in this for your son. I mean, there are going to be a lot of people in his life that are going to expect a lot more of him behaviorally or speech-wise or anything else than you do. And I'm not saying that it's all roses and chocolates, but it's not really your place. And I think the next time your husband comes to you upset, if you can just even take five minutes to let him vent and and to empathize with him, like, wow, yeah, I can see that you're really upset by that. It's clear that you feel really disrespected by that. What are you thinking you want to do about it? And 
and, you know, let like sort of let him process and get it out with an ally who's willing to work with him. And then you say, yeah, well, I can see how you would want to ground him for a week for not saying thank you, given how upset you are. But, you know, let's think about how that consequence would play out and, you know, on the range of consequences and actions. You know, if he does something worse, like what's the worst punishment we want to give him or consequence we want to give him and work back from there. Where does this fit in? You know, so you're sort of strategizing with him about the appropriate consequence versus trying to convince him that he shouldn't be upset, first of all. Second of all, I would encourage you to read Conscious Parenting by Dr. Shafali. I, don't, I, I think you probably are a conscious parent, but it will give you tools and ideas to translate to your husband. And the other thing to check out is Dr. Laura Markham's work, M-A-R-K-H-A-M. Um, I think she her book was Peaceful Parent, Happy Child. It's, she's all about positive psychology, which is how I've always parented my kids and I think is really powerful. And there are, I've had a lot of my couples, you know, parents who I see clinically work with some of these coaches that come through Dr. Markham's training and are trained in positive psychology parenting strategies. And they can actually work with both of you around creating a template for creating natural consequences for your children and setting limits, but also doing it in a way that supports their development and is loving. That is fantastic. I mean, I love what you shared just in terms of their souls picked our souls and there's a reason for it because there is. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for all these just gems here. I truly appreciate you. Thank you, Julie. Mika, what about you? My question is, so I was reading your book and I'm obsessed with your book. Quantum Love is the book that I, I'm, uh, that I just read. I'm not paying them. I promise. <laughs> I <love> this. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, if you've already read the book, reread the book. You'll get some highlights that the book is incredible. The the thing about like I saw myself, I felt like you're talking about me and I got uncomfortable with <laughs> the book. Like when you said that your partner is a reflection of you mm-hmm. and I was like, uh, 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 okay. So, um, so can you please speak more on this? On your partner being a reflection. Well, everything in your world is a reflection of you. The only thing, what we now know through quantum physics and all the wild experiments, and I talk about all the science in the book, is that everything we perceive with our five senses is, you know, everything in our world, including us, is pure vibrating energy vibrating at different frequencies and intensities. The only thing that our five senses are capable of perceiving are things and people and experiences that are vibrating in harmony with us. Now, does that mean if you are with an abusive partner that you deserve it or asked for it? No. Does it mean that you are a vibratory match for someone who disrespects you, doesn't value you, doesn't honor you or cherish you or treat you in the way you deserve. Yes. 
Doesn't mean you ask for it, doesn't mean you deserve it. It just means you are a vibratory match, which means that on some level, very often not even consciously, you struggle with self-worth and value of yourself and boundaries and being okay saying no and uh, feeling solid on your own two feet, right? And so the healthier you are emotionally and the wholer you are emotionally and even spiritually, the better quality person experiences and partners you will attract into your life. And I think anyone who practices this will tell you that it's not just relationships, it's everything gets better. The people that you meet, the friends that you make, the experiences that show up for you just get better and better the higher, the more you work through this stuff. And it's not like you can just jump up and be like, okay, I'm going to go from hopelessness and rage to joy because I've made that decision. You actually can't, you can say that, but energetically, you're not going to be able to do that and sustain it for very long. So it's really, it requires facing your crap, you know, and facing your shadows. So when I say that your partner is a reflection of yourself, I mean, from a vibration standpoint, you know, they are a match to you, to your frequency. But also, it's fascinating to me as a couples therapist, it's kind of a a secret game I play with myself, because it never fails, that when I meet a couple, you know, within the first two or three sessions, it's very clear to me how perfect they are for each other in terms of we choose partners. We fall in love with people who are going to trigger our, our shit. We just do. So those things that drive you most crazy about your partner are the growth edges that you most, it's like the reason you were unconsciously attracted to them. And it is the growth edges that you your heart and your soul really wants to work on. We're always evolving and growing and healing and becoming more evolved versions of ourselves. And, you know, from a soul level, as I was saying to Julie, that's the reason we're all here right now. We came here at this time because we knew it was going to be a crazy shit show. We knew (laughs) that there was going to be a lot happening in the universe right now and in and in the world. And, you know, we're the warriors that signed up for it. So, sorry, you got to keep going. But that's the fun of it. You know, once you embrace the process, oh, there's noise. Once you embrace the process and recognize, you know, that we're all just a work in progress and the more you release, the more you heal, the more shadows you face and bring, you know, integrate back into yourself, the more healing you do, the more you learn to connect with your higher power, the more you allow your soul to grow into itself, the better and better life becomes. It doesn't mean there aren't tragedies, but you can move through those tragedies with grace. It doesn't mean there aren't, you know, problems, but there are less of them and the rest of life, you know, is pretty fantastic. And so it's all worth it. Thank you, Dr. Laura. I'm, I'm going to reread your book again, because I feel like there's so many gems. It was just, it was a lot. I got to tell you, I just saw myself and there were some things I did not like what I, what I, like you were just speaking to me, but it felt good to see that. And I felt like I'm not the only one. 
I, I'm certainly, I doubt I'm the only one. And um, thank you for that. And, um, but yeah, I do love all the other, th- I love a lot of what I see reflected in my partner. All right. Thank you. Who do we have uh, next? Devin. My name's Devin Brown. I had a question, a couple, couple questions. The first one is for a long-term relationship, what would you say is that golden nugget? that kind of is a long lasting, that helps like a long lasting relationship? Is it communication? Is it going on dates every week? And then the second part is what are the like kind of top five um, things a man can do to kind of heal from a breakup? Boy, it's hard to name one thing, but I would say, you know, in a long-term relationship, it really is about communication, but not just communication. It's about conscious communication and each of you willing to take your 100% for the blessings and the struggles in the relationship. And each of you open to learning and open to the other's ideas and open to being wrong and willing to grow. So that's what I really mean by communication. I've said this before, but if you if you talk to those couples who have been married for 75 years and you ask them the secret, they will, whatever else they say, humor, sexual connection, all the, you know, whatever little tidbits they give, they always start off with, it's, you know, there are ups and downs and it takes a lot of work. And those are the two universals. We are not really, I, I think I talked about this last week on on, on uh, this clubhouse, that we, were, we weren't designed for, for lifetime monogamy and living to a hundred, you know, lifetime monogamy, when it was created, we didn't live well past our reproductive years. And so it's not biologically natural to us. It's not that it's bad or shouldn't happen, but it's just one more reason to recognize that it takes a conscious effort and commitment to continuing to grow, evolve, create room for each other, be curious about how your partner is your greatest teacher and maybe is triggering your wounds. I think all of that is super important for a long-term relationship. In terms of the things for getting, you know, numbers always make me nervous. If you tell me five things, I'll be able to come up with two. If you tell me two things, I'll come up with five. But let's just see. Uh, In terms of getting over a breakup, I think everyone getting over a breakup, you know, struggles. But I think for guys, it's particularly hard because for the most part, our society isn't set up in ways where they have the same built-in support system that so many women tend to have with friends and even colleagues who they tend to talk about their relationship with when it's going well and their heartache when it's not or when they break up. And when they do break, you know, for most men, even today, even those more evolved younger men, very often they don't, when they're deep in a relationship, that relationship is their real only connection. And so when that relationship ends, it can feel really isolating. So you're not only dealing with the heartbreak and the loss or abandonment or getting over the loss, but you're also doing it in social and emotional isolation. And I'm not saying that's necessarily true for you, uh, Devin, but I do think that that is really common for men and in particular something that we need to mention when we talk about guys getting over a breakup. So that's why getting that emotional support and also getting that spiritual support that I was talking about with Bryce is so important because the nice thing about a breakup is that it's one of those AFGEs that life gives you, another freaking growth experience. It's an opportunity 
to heal something, to recognize the gifts that the relationship brought and what you do want to carry forward and also what you don't want. And it also gives you an opportunity to look at yourself more honestly. What things did I put up with that I shouldn't put up with and why? What things did I do to contribute to the problems in the relationship that led to the breakup? And what am I going to do differently in the future? And I do think for all of us, and this is another one of those controversial things I'll probably say, but I feel it's super important. That whole edict of the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else is not a good idea. (laughs) And I think it's really important to stay single for a while so that you can get stable on your own two feet and whole in yourself, right? So you're your own delicious cake and someone else is the icing and recognize and learn those lessons and do that with the help of a coach or a therapist or a, you know some sort of ally in your healing. And in an ideal world, if I had to give you a formula and I've found this to be pretty much true, the best bet is for you to stay single. And that doesn't mean you can't eventually date, but you don't get into a serious relationship, move in with someone, get married to someone for at least half the time that you were in the relationship, at least up to five years. So if you've been married 20 years, you don't have to stay single for 10, but you'd want to stay single for five. If you were married for 10 years, you'd want to stay single for five. If you were together, you know, and and it doesn't have to be married. If you were in a serious relationship for two years, stay single for one. And use that time to grow, heal, and evolve so that you can attract in and be attracted to a higher caliber person that's going to be a better match for you in the long run. That wasn't five, but that's my advice. Dr. Lori knows everything though. That was everything. It was it was five. It was it was gems that you gave on that. And I think it's just so <laughs> important. I think it's just so important for guys, you know, to, to heal that because you're so right. We don't um, necessarily have that natural support system. As a mom of three boys, I think that I was just saying that guys in general struggle to have that support system and to honor their sadness, you know, because they're afraid it's a sign of weakness or be in touch with their emotions because that's not what cool sport guys do, you know, whatever. So the more that we can change that dynamic, the healthier our society is going to be, much less these sweet-souled boys. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you, Dr. Lauren. It's good. And, um, you know, I'm a CEO of my nonprofit, so it's I kind of help the, the boys and all that to understand and learn that, too. So Thanks. And um, let's go to another question. How about Avi? Hello, Dr. Laura. I'm so glad you were talking about the soul stuff um, before, Dr. Laura, because I've been waiting to ask this question of someone and I hadn't found the right person. So I'm glad that you're here. Okay, I'll give you a quick <clears throat> summary. I was a film marketing exec. I left my job. Uh, a couple years ago, and started some journey of really deep personal development work and found myself by the end, um, like doing a lot of healing, and also organizing plant medicine retreats, um, ayahuasca retreats, Mm -hmm. um, for friends and everything. So being really entrenched in this work. And when I came out the other side of it, dating has been a lot harder. And then it's very lonely because I'm not used to this. I used to date all of the time, right? And it it was just a different ballgame. And then all of a sudden, Clubhouse pops up. And then, you know, when you say, okay, if you can connect with one person out of 200, now there's thousands of people. So I've been connecting, but I know this is like, I want to assume this is not forever. So I'm like, okay, what's going to happen when I go back to regular life again? 
Um, I don't think that's an unreasonable question at all. I think, you know, in general, and this is a great time to do this while we're still kind of in hibernation and haven't all come out of the of the uh, social distancing yet, um, and certainly, you know, outdating strangers again, right? I think one of the most powerful things you can do is the same thing that I talk about with quantum love with people already in a relationship. It's as or more powerful when you're talking about calling love in. And what you want to do is take this time to start getting super clear on if you had that perfect match for you, you know, the man that you were attracted to and had his act together, but all, you know, whatever qualities, and we're not talking about physical ones, but general, you know, maybe three to five general qualities, right? You also want him to be a deeper thinker, right? And someone who lives below the surface. But if you had that person and you were waking up next to that person every day, how would you feel? At home. At home. Okay. So you would feel, uh, so at home I can, I can conjure, but if there was, what's the number one feeling when you feel at home? Cause at home isn't really a physical feeling, right? Or a, or a sensory feeling. It, it creates sensory feelings. I would feel um, um, at peace. That's an example of one way you want to feel in your ideal loving relationship. And, and we don't have to do this now, but I want you to take some time to maybe make a list of five and drill it down, like I'm saying, from at home to peaceful, right? Or passionate or safe or connected or adventurous, you know, whatever it is, I want you to get really, really clear if you imagine having that perfect person for you with you. And then once you have those five feelings, I want you to start playing with them in the quantum love respect. So you can take one at a time and do it for a week or a couple of weeks at a time. So let's say we take peaceful, right? then I would want you to spend some time, and you can go to my website and get um, drlauraberman.com. If you go to the Quantum Love page, there are some guided meditations that will show you how to do this with peaceful, right, which is the first one you'll be working on. And you're moving your body into the energetic frequency of peace and learning what peacefulness in the at-home sense really feels like viscerally in your body. And you're learning to imagine in your mind, things that make you feel peaceful, either things that have really happened in the past, experiences or people you've been with, or perhaps things you make up, scenes you make up, but you're there in your mind in first person as if it's happening right here, right now, because what that is doing is your body and your brain don't know the difference between reality and rehearsal. So you are moving your energy, your body's frequency into the frequency of peace And what will happen as you do that is that you are going to attract in and be attracted to other peaceful people and experiences and um, situations. They'll just start showing up for you because they're vibrating in harmony with your frequency of peace. So if you can try even 51% of the time of that week looking for opportunities to feel peaceful, doing things that make you feel peaceful, and imagining places, situations, and people in first person as, as if they were real that make you feel peaceful. You're going to find that all sorts of things start showing up in your life, including men who inspire and appreciate peace. 
And the same thing for the other feelings. So if you want to go about dating on a soulful level, which I think you do, and you want to attract in someone who's really a match to that, that is the path. I love that answer. Thank you so much. And I'll have to check all those meditations out. That sounds fascinating. Thank you, Dr. Laura. What's your question, Ali? Well, my question is, um, so I don't think it's a, it's a question more than it's a problem I've been facing the past few years. Um, yeah. It's been really hard for me to go on dates or whenever I go on dates, I just for some reason, I I see all the flaws in the in the girl in front of me. So <laughs> for some reason, I crumble and and I start give excuses and I start to like I just like can't. It, I've been struggling and for and and there's another problem. I've lost my confidence. It's Aww. it's gone. So when did this start? Has it always been this way, or did it start? Uh, yeah, I think after my last relationship. Uh, it's all been changed to me and um, it took me a while back to get up on my feet and Mm -hmm. realize it's over and I have to move on and uh, and this problem appeared all of a sudden and well it makes sense to me so you were you had your heart pretty smashed it sounds like it's sort of what I was talking about with you know differences not I don't mean to generalize but between a lot of men and a lot of women when we go through a real heartbreak is that, you know, for all of us, a heartbreak, the heart doesn't break, it just bends, but it can close us off as a self-protective mechanism. I'm never going to love this much again. I'm never going to care this much again. I'm never going to make myself this vulnerable again because I never want to feel this way again. Or we can move through it in grace and open up and be a little bit in the pain for the long-term gain, right? And take those risks in love because, The bottom line is I can guarantee every single person here, if we keep living, we are going to have our hearts broken again. We all will. Maybe not in the same way, but we're all going to have heartbreak. And you can't protect yourself from it. If it doesn't come through love, it's going to come some other way. It's part of our soul's growth. And it's all we have a choice about is how we're going to move through it and how we're going to grow from it and how we're going to evolve from it. So it makes total sense to me that if you had your heart completely smashed then, you know, you could just not date at all or you could date and find something significantly wrong with every woman you're out with. They both achieve the same purpose, keeping you from putting yourself out there again and taking a risk of getting hurt again. Do you see what I'm saying? And the confidence thing, you know, did she cheat on you? Yes. So that's where the confidence thing is. You've internalized her cheating as being your fault or a shortcoming in you that she had to go elsewhere for. And I can tell you that that is almost never the case, ironically. It's the first place that the person that got cheated on goes. I'm not enough in some way, or I, sometimes I'm too much of something. But I would tell you, and I've worked you know, with endless individuals and couples where cheating has happened, it almost never is about the person they cheated on. <laughs> It's, it's about their own insecurities, their wounds, their unresolved stuff, their avoidance, their addiction. It's not about you. And because, you know, of your personality and maybe your earlier life wounds and abandonments, and my guess is you've been abandoned either literally or emotionally earlier in life, um, or this breakup wouldn't have hit you on the core the way it has, 
Um, but you adopted this story that her cheating confirmed that you're not worthy of love. So, of course, you're not going to have confidence. Of course, you're going to sabotage every date you go on because you're going to be rejected anyway because you suck. That, you know, that is a problem, first of all, because none of that is true. That's a story you've adopted. I can tell you how old you were when you adopted it. Hold on. I would say you were um, five or six. Was there something that happened when you were five or six with one of your key caretakers, your parents or someone you were really close to? I I don't recall anything. um... And was there anything around hypercriticism or punishing through through disapproval? Yeah, a little. A little bit. What I'm feeling, I have this weird thing where I can, I don't know what it is, but I can feel the age and and sense the age and stage and wound that led people to adopt a story that they're not really worthy of love, that they, that love is conditional. You know, it makes sense now as I'm feeling that because around five or six, you would have been old enough to start acting out as any little boy who's five or six does start engendering your parents' disapproval as any kid who acts out does and being aware of the sense of rejection and isolation that happened when you didn't behave in a way that's, that they felt was okay. Now, they were doing this with love, right? They're trying to raise a good human. And I'm not saying your parents are evil people, but I'm just saying that you made an agreement early on with yourself to take this on as you and your problem as you not being enough as you not being fundamentally worthy of love and when this woman cheated on you which is probably the first woman that you've really invested your deep heart into the first relationship and then she stomped on it um then you go right back to that little sweet five or six year old boy which is why the wound feels so deep and wide and why it's still all this, you know, because I think it's been a while since you broke up, right? Yes. So that's why it's still happening and you haven't really been able to move forward because it's really about that earlier wound. So if I could give you my best advice, it would be to get into some counseling or therapy to really start working on your self-worth and recognizing, because what you've done since you were a little boy is adopt other people's disapproval or misbehavior or mistreatment of you as being something you deserve. And that's just simply not true, including of your ex. She didn't cheat on you because of any shortcoming of you. She may have gaslit you into believing that, so she didn't have to feel bad. But it's really about her. And you have adopted that as your short, as a sign of your shortcoming. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Now, me telling you that that's not true isn't enough to solve the problem, right? Because this goes deeper than some random woman on Clubhouse telling you it's not true. But I do think that counseling and therapy and some spiritual work will really help you uh, release this. I've tried. Uh, I've tried also hypnotherapy. It helped for it helped me a little bit, and um, but I still how how can I explain this? Uh, I still like if I like someone, for example, right now, I'm like there is a girl I like, but for some reason I'm I'm terrified. I'm terrified to open up. I'm, yeah. I'm, well, what's the worst thing that could happen if she breaks your heart? I'll still be alive, and um, you'll still be alive. You'll lick your wounds for a while, and you'll pick yourself back up.
See, when someone has been seriously hurt in love, you know, it's hard to take that risk again. But the only way that you're going to have the love you so want is by taking the risk. And I do think that if you want this relationship to last, not only are you going to need to take the risk, but you're going to need to do more than hypnotherapy to resolve those core wounds. Because if you don't, what will happen is that anytime she gets angry or, you know, separates a little bit or wants some space for any really innocent reason, you're going to go immediately to abandonment. And that's not going to help the relationship. I would say either way, you really want to do that work. And it's not something that hypnotherapy, I mean, hypnotherapy, if they could go back to the point of fracture where you fundamentally adopted this belief that you aren't worthy of love exactly as you are, and you have to be a certain way or perceived a certain way in order to be loved, or, you know, then, then maybe it would help. But I think what's even more helpful is connecting to the fact that you deserve all the love and admiration and acceptance in the world, not because you are something or do something or achieve something or don't do or achieve something. You just are. And I don't think you can do that with a childhood like yours unless you do some work on it. Uh, thank you. My name is Cindy Parks. Dr. Laura, thank you so much for taking my question. I think you're amazing. So, oh, so you. full of wisdom. Um, so I am uh, 53. I have been divorced for about 20 years. I've had some amazing relationships, but I've had some pretty crummy ones. Taken the last two years, I haven't dated at all. I mm-hmm. have really used this time to work on myself from a mental, emotional, spiritual standpoint. I've started um, passion project, really um, excited about and looking at changing careers. But I'm also, I believe I'm ready today, but I am absolutely horrified of losing myself that I've worked so hard because mm. um, that's like been a pattern. And and I just wondered if you could comment on that or, or have um, any recommendations. Well, it sounds like you've really done the work and now it's about facing your fear, right? And And your fear is really... Not so much about the other person, because who's to say who's going to come into your life, right? It's really, I think, a fear about your own sniffer, so to speak, your own compass in terms of recognizing when you're maybe starting to give yourself away, right? Because no one can make you give yourself away. I think what you're afraid of is that you're going to fall for someone and then one day wake up and you've given yourself away. So that's about a lack of confidence in your own discernment, right? So that's where you want to do your work is really confirming to yourself, which I think you probably do every day in non-love relationships, how good am I at setting boundaries? How good am I at saying no? How good am I at not being the pleaser occasionally and holding the discontent or disappointment of someone else? when I hold what is a healthy boundary or give a healthy no for myself. And you start practicing that and recognizing that, getting really, really clear about what it is about your own independence and your life and the way you live it that are non-negotiable, that you wouldn't be willing to compromise on or give away or give up, you know? 
for one woman, it may be, I am never going to give up taking my girls trips several times a year. You know, that is a huge part. I'm never going to give up working or I'm never going to give up paying my own bills. I mean, everybody has their own things, right? But, and what is giving up yourself for someone is kind of different for everyone because, you know, it's not across the board. So I think getting really, really clear about, you know, having found yourself, what is it about yourself that you really want to be in integrity with and hold on to no matter what? And the final thing I would say to you, if you haven't already, and I'm guessing you have, is to read the book and maybe even do the workbook of Codependent No More because... That's what your issue is if you give yourself away. That's terrific. Golly, that's great. Thank you very much. You are welcome. All right, should we try to take the last one since poor little Nicholas is up here? All right, Nicholas. Hey, I'm Nicholas. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer my question. Um, my situation is a really, um, it's really serious. I feel like I'm in a emotionally abusive relationship and um, I've just found this out recently mm. and um, and I'm the one who's instigating it that is the worst part that you're the abuser I'm guilty on all God bless you for saying that and owning that mm-hmm and uh, we've been married for about five years we've been uh, we've known each other for almost ten years she moved all across you know half across the world just to be here with me. And it's just like I've not treated her as she should have been treated. I feel like I've been really um, apathetic and not there when she needs me the most. Um, Not there to fulfill her emotional needs. So uh, I don't know what to do. Oh, I'm so, yeah, and I can feel your, your angst as you're kind of coming to terms with what you, you know, with having been unconscious of how you were affecting her and what you were doing. You know, the best thing you can do is get into some couples therapists, excuse me, couples therapy together. This is something that couples therapists work with all the time. And the one thing you need to know about abusers, whether it is people who emotionally, physically, sexually abuse, every single one of them has been abused themselves. And it, and the abuse, the abusive behavior comes as a result of not having worked through and healed their own abuse. So all the things that you're doing negatively to your wife are things that on some level were done to you throughout your life. And that's how probably relationships were modeled to you. So you behave the same way in response. And that's part of, I'm, I'm mentioning that for two reasons. One, because that's a big part of the healing for the abuser is to heal their own abuse. And two, because I can feel how much shame you have and how much guilt you feel. And I, I don't want to take that completely away from you because it's natural, but it also can become really toxic and, and block your own healing and the healing of your relationship and guilt and shame are the crappiest motivators on the planet in my experience most of us try to motivate ourselves through guilt and shame but it's it's not sustainable I think eventually if you work with someone good 
you, and work through some of this stuff, you will not only recognize the core of your behaviors and heal that, but also forgive yourself and understand that only hurt people hurt people. And that's the situation here. Uh, so I did try to talk about um, couples therapy with her and um, it seems like she's not interested in that. She feels like I'm the one who needs it. Yeah. Well, so you start going first and she's probably right. She feels so hurt by you. She's like, I don't even want to work on the relationship until you do some work on yourself. So you look for someone that you can see by yourself for a while. And then she can come and join you for some sessions with the therapist and the therapist can tell her about the progress you're making and help the two of you put the pieces back together. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is there like a specific kind of therapist I should look for? I would look, you know, one of my favorite resources is, well, there's two things. One, I really feel like you have some trauma in your history, but let's just put a pin in that for a second because there's a specific kind of therapy that I really like for trauma. But since we're wanting to practically um, address your triggers and the abusive behavior, I would say you want to get into treatment with a talk therapist um one of the great the best resources i have found ironically is a a therapistlocator.net and you can put in your zip code and go through those people's profiles and look for someone who deals with victims of abuse and abusers that works with healing people around emotional abuse in relationships and uh, that, and you'll be able to find someone near you. If and when you get to the traumas you've experienced, either the therapist will work with you on those, but I, I as a therapist who work with a lot of trauma have come to really rely on, in addition to the work I'm doing with whoever it is, something called somatic experiencing. And um, I think that, let me... I think that, let me just look this up really quickly. I think it's trauma healing, trauma, it's traumatherapy.org. If you go to traumatherapy.org, you can find a somatic experiencing therapist in your area. And that would be kind of working through, helping you be in your body and work through some of the trauma and pain so that it's not running your life in, in terms of your reactivity anymore. Because that's what's happening is that when you act negatively or abusively to your partner, it's in response to you getting triggered unconsciously. And so starting to recognize those triggers will probably highlight some trauma that you had earlier. And somatic experiencing will will really help with that. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much for your um, advice and feedback. All right. Thank you. Thank you for seeking help and for... And for being willing to address this, it's, it's, it's everything. So good luck. I just wanted to thank everyone. I think, you know, it's always such a joy to be with everyone here and to speak to you and be able to help in whatever small way I can. And I want to thank everyone who asked a question and especially our, our sweet souled men who stepped up and said, you know, they feel scared, alone, isolated, you know, all those things that all of us are feeling. And until some of us are willing to get vulnerable and put it on the table and shout it out, 
um, you know, that's when the rest of us can get there too. So I thank you all for for being with us, and we will see you next evening, Tuesday evening, for more Language of Love. I'll see you then. <laughs>